The Full 60 is brought to you by GameTime, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Ticket prices drop right before the game starts, and because GameTime tracks prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers, they're able to show you the best last-minute deals with prices up to 60% off. And in hockey, we are getting to one of my favorite times of the year, which is the annual Winter Classic, which, I mean, it's just become a, a, a must-attend event if it's in your area. And if you go on Game Time right now, there are tons of tickets available on Game Time for the Winter Classic at the Cotton Bowl. So I would definitely check that out. And if you can hear my kids running around in the background, maybe you're like me and you're looking for events that aren't just sports and you have a family or you want concerts. Game Time has all of that. And I apologize for any background noise that the children are providing. Um, for instance, I just looked. There's the Lion King play available in my area. Uh, on game time. So lots of different options on game time. The game time app is simple, quick, and easy to navigate. Download the game time app in the Google Play or App Store and score last minute deals on tickets up to 60% off. Welcome to the Full 60 featuring Craig Custance and presented by The Athletic. Each week, we'll dive into the biggest stories in hockey while bringing in unique voices to entertain and explain all aspects of the game. Hey, this is Craig and welcome to this week's episode of the Full 60. Somehow we are at the end of a decade, which um, that's crazy. Like we're about to hit 2020, which is still my mind way in the future, um, but it's not. And at The Athletic, we did a huge package across all sports where we pooled our writers and brainstormed some ideas and did a bunch of all-decade teams and memorable, memorable moments. Um, Eric Duhatchek did a really fun list that were, uh, was a look at the most central people in hockey over the last decade. And so we wanted to do a podcast to accompany that that package of stories. And naturally, since Eric had a couple of the most prominent pieces, we thought it would be fun to have him on the podcast um, to, to to talk about his list that he did, to talk about a couple of the stories that he did, and really just to look back. Like Eric and I were at a ton of the same games, whether it be the Olympic gold medal game in Vancouver at the start of the decade, all the Stanley Cup finals, uh, you know, the crazy conference final games. We, we even bring up that that Kings Blackhawks series. Like there were some some fun fun moments. And Dom put together an all decade team that Eric and I wanted to debate. And so we gave Eric a call, and we go over all of this, and we rehash some of our most memorable moments from the last ten years. Get a little bit nostalgic, even a little bit emotional. We talk about Brad McCrimmon, who was a good friend, and so I wanted to jump right into that conversation. A look back at the last 10 years, some fun debate at some of the best players, the best lists with the athletics, Eric Duhatchik. All right, Eric, let's start this. First, by way of an introduction, you and I are chatting because we we both participated in a site-wide package looking back at the last decade of sports at the athletic. For you and I, of course, it was hockey. And so I'm going to start this conversation with the same question I asked Sidney Crosby, who was part of our centerpiece for this package, do you remember where you were on January 1st, 2010, and what you were focused on, what you were looking forward to for the next 10 years or the next week? (laughs) (laughs) Well, okay, that's an interesting question. I I would say, no, I don't think I can give you the answer. Now, if you'd asked me you know, like January 1st, 2000, all that YK2 stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I probably could have told you then, but I I would tell you this. Uh, January 1st, 2010, uh, roughly five weeks before the Winter Olympics in Vancouver, Canada started, my focus had been up until that time, and I think pretty much every day leading into the Olympics, on on the Olympics themselves. I was working for that Canada's national newspaper. Um, We had done an awful lot of, of preparatory work already. We were doing like a you know, a, a page a week, uh, looking ahead to the Olympics, you know, all aspects of it, not just the Canadian team, but, but, but all of the different teams. And, and it was, it was because, you know, Canada had won that gold medal in 2002. That was a really seminal moment in, in inter- Canadian international hockey history. They performed so poorly in Turin in 2006 that, that there was this, this national angst about how the team would do in 2010 mm-hmm. in the hometown Olympics. And, and so, so that was professionally anyway, that was, uh, 
that was that was my focus at, at, at the time. I'm not sure if uh, if that day I was wasn't just nursing a hangover and maybe might have been the one <laughs> might, might have been the one time in the entire you know two month period that I didn't think about it. But but for yeah, sure yeah. January second on it was Olympics, 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 and 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 really you know more so than you know than my NHL coverage. We were we were really all in on the Olympics. Yeah. I, it's funny that so Sid's answer was, and, and I I don't know if I was anticipating the Olympics. I mean, he mentioned obviously the Olympics were a big thing for him. The one thing he says when he thinks back to that point in time in his career and his life was, he just remembers thinking of just how good that Penguins team was that he was playing on. Like, and, and they've all been they've had a good decade, but like, you know, here they are coming off of '08, going to the final and losing to Detroit, winning it all in 09. So now you get to 2010, and when you talk to, like, those players, they were like, we thought we were going to win, you know, a million Stanley Cups. Mm-hmm. Like, there was there was a lot of confidence around that team. And, of course, that, this decade turned out to be fascinating. Um, really a lot of highs and lows for both Sidney Crosby and the Penguins and, like, the hockey world. It was, it was kind of a crazy decade. And you kind of took that on. So let's start talk about a couple pieces. We can kind of give a little bit of how the sausage was made, but you took some of that on in, in your story. So let's, let's dive into that. Like what, okay. what was your focus? Okay. Well, so, uh, you know, if, is it okay, Craig, on the podcast, I'm going to take the listeners behind the curtain a little bit. So what, what ended sure. up happening was about, about a month ago, um, you and Sarah Goldstein shared a conference call with, with all of the national writers and, uh, and and you let us know that uh, that this was going to be a site wide initiative, and that we were focusing on on hockey, and 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 let's you know blue sky some ideas. And so I said, well, I have two. You know, I said one, I I wouldn't mind looking down the road at where hockey is in 20, 30, 10 years from now, uh, but in terms of the decade just passed, what I would ideally like to do is look at the central figures of of the decade, and and I made the distinction that. Uh, Central figures is different than most influential. The problem with mm. doing most influential is that you, you have to put Gary Batman at the top of the list. You'd probably have to put Donald Fear uh, in, in the top five, and, and it would be heavily front-loaded with, with administrators. And, and I'm not sure that the average hockey fan necessarily would want to read about that. I, I think everyone acknowledges how, imp- how important they are. But I, by framing it as central figures of the decade, I thought we could put a greater emphasis on what happened on the ice. And I think that everyone seemed to, to, to agree that that was, you know, not a bad idea. But then I, you know, pulled a kind of a dirty trick. <laughs> I didn't think nobody else had. And I said, and of course, there is only one person that be number one if we're doing central figures. We can debate endlessly, and we did, uh, who is going to be two to 25. But number one, you know, that there was there was no question in my mind who it was. And to your credit, after, you know, thousand one, thousand two, thousand three, you said, got to be Sid, right? And I said, yeah, got <laughs> to yeah, be yeah, Sid. Yeah. And everybody else, I think within 20 seconds agreed, yeah, got to be Sid. And I, it's, it's pretty obvious. I mean, you know, they didn't meet some of that early promise of the decade, but when they right, won right. back to back in 2016, 2017, at a point where I think everyone thought that uh, that a lot of that group was was past its prime, that was uh, extraordinary. And and the other thing, and, and this is key too, I mean, the the decade, the, the focus on concussion was was so important, and the strides made in terms of of diagnosis, treatment, um, you know, all of the protocols associated with it. Uh, you know, the, we've seen important improvements there. And and I think Sidney Crosby was the, the poster boy for that de- development. He was the central figure in that. So he checks three really important boxes for me. So to your credit and, and really, you know, to the credit of everybody else on the on the staff, I, I think we came to this consensus really quickly. And, and, and you know, if anybody wants to dispute it, they can, but I, I don't see how you can. Uh, you know, we could argue, you know, endlessly about, you know, the rest of the list, but but it has to be number one, right? And then, and then, and then that was the other thing was that you, I think you had a, a conversation scheduled with him, like you know, like a day later or something like that. You were going to down to visit him, so it fell neatly into into you know your coverage plans to to go down there and and profile him, which is you know obviously part of this uh, package. Yeah, yeah, and it, you're right. I mean, it, it was it was a fun piece to do because it was you know it was it's funny how you can already be nostalgic for something that's really not that long ago, right? Like I was going back and watching those old twenty four seven clips. You know, those were. Yeah. I mean, it was great, and, it, and at the time, you know, it hadn't been done a million times, so we were you know it was fun to sit there and watch. 
you know, um, Benny Lovejoy's face swell up on the plane and Sid's reaction to all that. And, and, you know, I remember in, in reporting the story out a little bit, um, I was talking to Jay Beagle because he was on the ice when David Steckel clipped Sidney Crosby in the winter classic that led mm-hmm. to the concussion. And I asked Jay, I'm like, you know, what do you remember about that moment? And we were just kind of chatting about it. I don't even know if I used any of this in the story. And he's like, you know, to me, the big thing is how that moment changed how we talk about concussions and mm-hmm. how concussions are handled as a sport. And he's like, I, you know, I wonder, I wonder if Sid's, and I'm putting words in his mouth. It was this is kind of the gist of it, but you know, is if Sid's decade would have looked differently if all those processes had been in place, right? That that yeah. his concussion led to because he probably doesn't play that next game against Tampa. You know, there's no such thing at that point as the quiet room. Mm-hmm. All these things that we almost take for granted. There's no spotters. It's just hey, you know, you know, get back out there or whatever. I'm fine. And in fact, I remember. Uh, as, as part of this, I, was, I sat down with Dan Bilesma and you could tell it still like pained him. Cause he's like, he's like, yeah, I remember I was relaying, you know, word for word what the doctors or the trainers or whoever had told him, mm-hmm. you know, I go out to the media and it's still in my head. And I came out and just said, Sidney Crosby's out with a mild concussion, yeah. you know, seven to 10 days or whatever. And he's like, of course, you know, that looks so bad now. Not only was it, not seven to 10 days, you know, th- even the phrase mild concussion, mm, right. Like I, I put the piece, it's like being mildly pregnant, like you're yeah. cussed and he, like so much has changed. And I, 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 you know, and so Jay Beagle's conclusion was yes, Sidney Crosby did all these things, incredible things on the ice, the, mm-hmm. the Olympics and the, and the Stanley cups, but he's like from a fellow player point of view, like yeah. that reframing of that conversation was, was made arguably the most impactful. Yeah, well, I don't dispute that at all, and that, that actually went into my thinking too. And 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 it's terrible to say, but if it had been someone else, not Sidney Crosby or or a player of his, uh, Alex Ovechkin's or Steven Stamkos or someone like that, it who knows if the game would have paid enough attention to it. The fact yeah. that it was Sidney Crosby, Ian Ovechkin were the faces of the National Hockey League. It forced it forced the league to look harder at it because he was the face of the league. And so suddenly, you know, you're without the face of the league for almost the better part of two years. When, when you, when you look back at, uh, at the, at the number of, of games that he missed during the time when, 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 when there were people, there were people that were saying, you know, is this the end, you know, and, and maybe it should be the end. And so I think the fact that, uh, that over time he was able to recover um, you know, work really hard at it. I mean, you know, some of it, you know, healing happens organically, but, but he also took a lot of, you know, positive steps in terms of, of, of moving it forward to the best he could, he could given the medical knowledge at the time. And so you're right. I, I think we are, we are just in a more enlightened, aware era as a result of that. And so, mm-hmm. you know, the, the game owes him a, a lot of thanks, not just for, for what he did on the ice and for all of the, the highlight reels, but, but because, you know the fact that it was that with, he was the, the uh, at the, the locus of this particular um, controversy. Um, it, it, it changed everything. Changed everything. Yeah, it, it's there was. I'm, I'm looking at the piece now. There was a quote from Papasan, who you know you and I both enjoy chatting with because he's you know great storyteller and <laughs> yeah. he, you know big. He was there every step of the way as Sidney Crosby's agent, and he said he said it was almost like when the titanic sunk it took that to realize that there were not enough lifeboats that was yeah. he's like he's like right. we all learned a lot and we and it wasn't just hockey it was all of sports and like i mean it's all part of sydney crosby's legacy and it was interesting in talking to other people ray Cheryl was like look you know sure maybe they could have won a bunch of cups to start it out but how much how much sweeter how much how better is it for sydney crosby and chris letang and evgeny malkin to go through that as a group. Um, it, it, nothing was handed to them. They have to battle back up, get off the mat, and then go win back-to-back Stanley Cups later on down the road. Like, maybe it makes it that much better to have to go through that. I, I don't disagree with that. I mean, let, let's go back to the Olympics. I mean, you know, Canada won Olympics uh, in Sochi, and uh, and they, you know, and, and it just rolled over everyone, and there was so little that was interesting about that tournament that that I think it just it just completely, you know, disappeared into the, the collective mindset. What made 2010 special? They were challenged. You know, the Americans were 
great. And, yeah. you know, going into that final game, you're leading, you give up a late goal, and then you win in overtime uh, on a golden goal. I, I mean, it, it, you know, the medal is the same in 2010 and 2014, but everybody remembers 2010 and 2014 has, has you know, even though it's more recent, it has faded into our memory. So, so you're right. You know, sometimes it's not just the end result, it's the journey too. It's funny because I'm glad to hear hear you say that about 2014 because I I was I kept referencing 2010 I was when I, I was talking to Mike Babcock for the book I did and he's like you know he's like 2010 he's like 2014 was just as impactful he's like you you know that other one seems to mean more to you and I'm again p- paraphrasing and putting words in his mouth because it, you're an American and you you know it was it, it impacted that country he's like to me like he felt both of them were equal and I felt like I felt like that 2010 game was like, that's to me the best game I've ever covered in my life. Um, It it, it was the best I've ever seen like a a city come together. Like that celebration in Vancouver afterwards was unlike anything I saw anthems being sung in the, in the, you know, subway. Like it was crazy. I've never, you know? um, And so I, I agree like that's for me, if we're talking about moments of the decade, it's the one that blows everything away in my mind. And and that's why you never let coaches assess these things because the co- co- <laughs> leave it to no, us. No, but coaches don't assess the entertainment value of something. You know, right. they they are analyzing it strictly from a, a the point of of efficiency. I always think about uh, Roger Nielsen. You know, who's in the the Hockey Hall of Fame because he was such an innovative coach. But mm-hmm. but everyone said this about Roger, and it was true. If it were up to Roger, every hockey game would finish one zero, and no one would be in the stands watching because. They create a distraction. Okay, so that's not <laughs> what the game is. It is an entertainment entity, right? So yeah. what was special about 2010? It was entertaining. It had drama. It had, you know, ups and downs. I mean, you know, like all of the great stories that are on your Hallmark Life channel over Thanksgiving are going to be, you know, like overcoming great obstacles, right? right? There was no great obstacle to overcome in 2014. It was the most ruthless, efficient a uh, gold medal that that I've covered, and I, I go back to Lake Placid in, in 1980, and which was also, by the way, great entertainment. What made that so special <laughs> was the entertainment. And uh, I mean, you know, like you, you look at possession numbers, you you look at how few goals they allowed. It was they were they were defensive masterpieces. Mm-hmm. I don't think the average hockey fan cares about defensive masterpieces. Coaches do, but the average hockey fan does. And so that that to me is is the biggest. Difference. So guess what? In this particular case, we are right and he is wrong. <laughs> I'm good. I, I I agree, and it's funny when you to talk to the other side of it. When you talk to the Americans that participated in '14, and that it, it, occasionally they'll be like, you know, because we we look at that as a country, it was like, boy, what a letdown that American team was. Um, you have all these hopes, high hopes after coming off of a silver medal, and they're like, you know, by the way, it was, I, I th- you know, the game against Canada was a one goal game, mm-hmm. and and I'm like, boy. I never felt like the Americans were going to win that game. Like there was, you're right. Canada was so dominant, and it was it was so workmanlike. Even that game that was close, yeah. Team USA played them close. I just, it, it was one of those you just knew you never, you never doubted the outcome, even if the score was close. Yeah, exactly. But clinical doesn't cut it in when it comes to entertainment value, and 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 so and and I think too, you know, getting back to you know where we started the conversation with this list, you know, like one of the things I, I'm 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 looking forward to the debate that we have. Uh, on the website, because because I've put people on the list that you know people are just going to disagree with Robert Roberto Luongo at seven, but but I'm putting him there because of his impact on social media, because of just this larger than life presence. He was a presence in the decade. You know, like Twitter was just kind of a thing in 2006. He made it something more than that. You know, he he was sly and he was dry and he was witty. And so, you know, I mean, he won like 293 games in a decade too. You, you can't, you know, like I don't have Paul Bissonnette on the list because he made Twitter a thing too. But, 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 uh, he's probably higher on the list than than uh, than anybody will want him on the list. But hey, it's my list, so he's number seven. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I I don't want to be the bear, but I, I might have shuffled a bunch around when you were. Oh looking at no! no I, I, I did not. I am sure. There was if, if there's something that shuffled, it wasn't me. I promise. Okay. So, I, like, yeah. So let's let's keep going on this path because I like. It, it, I liked that your list was ambiguous enough where you could just do whatever you wanted with it, right? Like if you do, if you do influential or whatever, yeah. it's it's you know it, it is. It's going to be a boring list of executives or, or yeah. whatever. I, like this was central figures, like who who was making waves on the ice, off the ice, like 
and sometimes it aligns like a Sidney Crosby and it's and it's all all of the above. And Luongo to me is is such an interesting one because like I don't know if 10 years from now when we're talking to hockey fans and and we bring up Roberto Luongo and we're like, "Oh yeah, this guy like dominated headlines." If they're they're going to be like, "Really? The guy that played for the Panthers?" and like I don't know like if people are going to remember unless you were like part of that conversation and and like i think back to that 2011 stanley cup finals which was just pandemonium like there was bitings and all like every off day there was some crazy story and like the the whole like tim thomas i i I don't i didn't know i had to pump his tires and the the back and forth between goalies and like and on top of so that that was like you and i both like to be entertained we're pretty simple people so we liked all that (laughs) And then on top of that, you had the debate with Luongo. You know, should Corey Schneider be playing after he, Luongo gets yeah. lit up in Boston? Yeah. Like there was all this intrigue around him. Um, and then you had his contract. He had like right. when we talk about off ice stuff, like those huge Kovalchuk contracts were such a big part of this. And yeah. Luongo's right in the middle of that. He's right in the middle of the Twitter expansion. I think yeah. I love him on that list. Yeah. Yeah. And, and for, you know, for all those reasons, I mean, obviously I tried to keep it to, you know, to 200 words per, uh, per candidate, because when there's 25, you know, I, I, I don't know that, you know, um, 5,000 words is a lot to, to ask people to read. So, you know, I was sort of praising the, the things, but, but you're right for all those things. Uh, I mean, in Canada too, uh, you know, he would be on TSN and James Duffy became like a pal of his and him and Schneider would, uh, would tape these segments on TSN that were hilarious. Like they, they were funnier than anything that you'd see on the comedy network. Like he, he just has, has this genuine warm sense of humor. And, and what I like about him is he's just so real and so honest. I mean, it was like a big deal when, uh, you know, when, when, when he stood up in front of the microphones that, Deadline. I can't remember which one it was, but uh, uh, you know, I, my contract sucks. My contract sucks. We wrote about that for three days in a row. My contract sucks because who says that? Who says that? You know, like he's making all this money. And like, if we were to say, okay, we're going to pull out everything aside, and all you get to see is quotes from the last decade. Yeah. And you, and you can tell me how impactful it is by I'm I'm going to just give you the quote, and you can tell me the context and who said yeah. it. Yeah. My contract sucks is everyone answers that in two seconds. Yeah, 100 percent. Yeah. And, you know, so you look at the, you know, like I look at the goalie list. I mean, I've got Marc-Andre Fleury on my list. You know, he won 317 games. Uh, you know, like there's a million reasons to put him on, including the impact that he had in Vegas as an expansion team and what a great story Vegas was. Um, you know, Henrik Lundqvist, who was third in wins, is also on my list. I, I wanted to I wanted to give goalies an honest representation. You know, I, I used to be on the Hall of Fame selection committee. And one of the, th- the things we get criticized for, or did get criticized for, was we underrepresent goaltenders. They're so critical in terms of, of the outcome of the games. And yet, you know, like it just seems to be harder for goalies to get into the Hall of Fame than it is for position players. So I didn't want that to be uh, a factor in the. Uh, on my list and you know Lundqvist the impact he had in New York uh um you know he's always on the cover of GQ you know we, we go to those uh those annual um preseason uh, meetings with with the players and he always was turned out so well it looked like he'd just come from a Vogue photo shoot I think a couple of times he did come from a Vogue photo shoot to, to do those availabilities with us like so literally good. like he probably came from a Vogue photo shoot yeah and, like I love those because for whatever reason you know it was first at the start of the decade it was ESPN and then later at the athletic for for me and Scott Burnside, but Scott always seemed to be the guy interviewing him. Like we would just split all these, these interviews up and he always had Henrik and Henrik would come in and look like impeccable. Yeah. And Scott would, you know, every year would make the same joke, like, Hey, get a picture of the two of us, the best dressed, you know, and Scott's got his, and the worst dress. <laughs> <laughs> like it was, uh, it, you know, and, and Scott was always so funny about it. And yeah, I, it's like all that stuff. Like if you talk about off ice impact, like this is a guy in New York in Lundquist, um, you know, GQ and, you know, on stage playing guitar with Sean yeah. Avery, like all these like flash memories that you have of him that go beyond just playing goal. Sure. And then, you know, and in the page six column, right. You know, like, so the New York tabloid, uh, I still have a tremendous amount of influence. And, and if you dropped Henrik Lundqvist's name into any of those gossip columns, you know, people in New York would know who that was. And he's on the back page of the sports section of the daily news at the post. Uh, and and he transcended sport and and that and you know I mean it's different in Canada than the United States I believe the number of, of hockey players that transcend the sport it, it, no, 
challenge to do in the States. And, and I thought Hen- Henrik Lundqvist was one that did it. And it's funny, the one name that I wrestled over Craig and I didn't put on the list in the end was Carrie Price, you know, and, mm-hmm. and, you know, like there are people that might argue that Carrie Price was the best goalie in, you know, in hockey in that decade. I mean, he, he, he was fourth in wins, 274. Um, you know, there was for sure, there was a period of time when he was the unacknowledged greatest goalie in the game. And, and he was, you know, I had about five to seven names that, you know, that were there. And then all of a sudden you get down to 26 and 28. And, and, and I just, I left him off. So I'm sure that I'll, I'll, I'll hear from Montreal Canadian fans about that. But, uh, but yeah, it was, you know, that, that was the, the whole goaltending portion of it was, it was a very interesting uh, uh, part of it for me because I, I, I just, Kind of admire them. I, I like. I love their personalities. Not all of them. I mean, some of them have quirky, odd duck personalities that that you know don't really help us in, in terms of what we. <laughs> but, but like the Mark Andre Fleury is just so much fun to deal with. I like dealing with Braden Holtby a lot. You know, yeah, he's you know sixth in the you know in in terms of wins. He had an impact, but you know again you can't put everybody on the list, right? And so so a bunch of these guys just kind of missed the cut. But you know it, I'll put you on the spot. Uh, yeah. And yeah, maybe you know the answer. So two goalies, two won over three hundred games in the decade. Mark Andre Fleury is one, and do you know who the other one is? Mm. Oh, see, I gotcha. <laughs> Okay. I would have guessed Lundqvist. It's not Lundqvist. I Lundqvist feel like... is third. Lundqvist yeah. is third. Price is fourth. Quick fifth. Holtby six. Bobrovsky seven. Rask eight. Crawford nine. And just because in the last week, Devin Dubnik has caught Luongo for tenth. So who am I missing? National Predators. National Predators. Oh, Pecorino. Pecorino. See, but uh, yeah, and and you know, I, I was you know. I, I looked at that and it's like really Pekka Rene, 304 wins. I, I did not know that either. No, exactly. And that was something that I had to look up. But that was that was the other thing that the exercise was was really useful. I mean, you know, like if I were to tell you that that uh, among point scores in the decade, Crosby was one, even with the injuries, that might surprise you a little bit. Patrick Kane was two, Alex Ovechkin was three, Giroux was fourth. Giroux, right? So maybe people in Philadelphia would get that. But if you asked the average hockey fan you know, name the top five scores of the decade. Stamkos is five, Tavares is six. How about Phil Kessel at seven? So that's another one I don't think that not many people would get. So anyway, it, it, it was a very interesting exercise because we we covered the, the league, we, we covered all those players, but even uh, we have to, you know, sometimes look at the raw numbers and, and it, they sometimes make you go, huh, interesting. It's funny because I was thinking of Claude Giroux, um, Sean McIndoe wrote a piece about like, current borderline hall of fame debates you know around the hall of fame and he had mentioned claude Giroux as a guy that's borderline and i'm like claude Giroux is is in in my opinion and I, like, that's what makes those great and i'm glad to hear that his numbers of this decade look you want to be if you're talking you know in your era one of the best players and if you're top five in scoring and you know that he he had his moments and of course the flyers haven't had the team success as some of these other players but um, yeah, I, I, that's really interesting to me. And now, so as an American, I do want to hit on a couple things on your list. And I love that you had Cami Granado in your in your top five. Um, and and uh, you know she is from really. I mean, the Granados in the U.S. are yeah. basically the first family of hockey. Um, huge in terms of influencers, and and not only that, like she just continues to pave the way now. Pro scout with Seattle. I mean. Like it's awesome. I I, think, I I like that mention there. Yeah, well, and for all those reasons, and the fact that you know she and Angela James were the first uh, women elected to the Hockey Hall of Fame. So again, I served on the selection committee, and and early on in my tenure, um, a man named Ian Scotty Morrison, not the writer, but the you know former director of officiating for the National Hockey League, was the chairman of the board, and he used to come out to Calgary all the time because his daughter Joanne worked in public relations for the Canadian Olympics. And we'd have lunch all the time, and and we you know he'd say. How are we going to, you know, break this log jam? You know, because the way the rules were before, you know, women were always eligible, but they had to compete against men. So, you know, like the debate one year would be, you know, Rob Blake or Cami Granado. It's apples to oranges. It was impossible. It was it was just it wasn't working. You know, so I, you know, I canvassed a, a number of the female players in my uh, circle and I said, like, what what is the solution? And and what it, what we, what we ended up coming up with was it, which you know. It was it had to be passed by the board of directors of the hall, but but it, we developed a female player category. So the idea was that they women players had to have full honored member status. They there couldn't be a secondary status. Like secondary, right. there's a, there's a writer's wing, but it's not the same. There's a 
uh, broadcast as women, but it's not the same. But, but if we're going to look at women's players, they, they have to be uh, full honored members, but the same standards have to apply to their candidacy as it does the male players, because that's what true equality is. And so, so the board of directors did uh, approve this in 2009, I believe, and then you know, then came to the selection committee, and there we were in the first year of eligibility. And it was very clear that there was one Canadian player and one American player that were far head and shoulders above everyone else in terms of the most impactful of that. And it really wasn't a very difficult discussion. I mean, I'm you know, we're not allowed to talk about what went on in the room, but I think I can safely say that uh, that it was pretty clear cut that Angela James was going in. Uh, you know, on the Canadian side and, and Cam Granada was going in on the American side. So I think that, was, you know, especially the way the decades began and the way the decade ended, you know, with her being hired by the, by the new Seattle team to, to be a, a, a pro scout, um, her work with camps and, and, and really, uh, you know, like I didn't, again, 200 words, right. But, but you're right. Granados yeah. are like the, the, one of the first families of, of American hockey. I mean, they, they are influencers. They, and, 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 you know, as even as a Canadian, it pains me to say, but, but the American female program is the top one of the world. I think they've passed Canada at this stage again. People in Canada are going to hate that, but you just have to look at the results. They are the ones that are winning most of the, of the major championships right now. And, and, and I believe that, the developments that you've seen in U.S. female hockey can be traced right back to Cami and the and the generation of players that uh, that she played with, uh, inspiring a lot of people and breaking that ground. And and you know, I, I mean, you you can go on into greater detail about where female hockey is in the states, but it's just it's phenomenal the growth over ten years. And and good to hear you acknowledge the the gap between. The Americans and Canadians now. Wait, wait a times. second. It's, the it's the a large, small, growing, <laughs> humongous, Grand Canyon size. No. Right. Um, you're, you're trying to get me into trouble, aren't you? you uh, I can tell. <laughs> All right. So, where the fun really lies is so, I mean, these are locks at the top of this list. Where the fun to me lies, of course, is when you get closer to the bottom, oh, yeah. where where you you had to make some tougher decisions and where you just say, hey, guess what, everybody? This is my list. Yeah. I'm putting these people on there. And I want to have a couple debates with you. Okay. Uh, number 20 is John Chaika, the Arizona Coyotes general manager, who, who uh, you know, and, and I'll let you get into your thought process, but there's a lot of general managers who have won Stanley Cups in this 10-year span and and have been honored and had influences in the game. Um, so it's, you know, I think if you're just scanning this list, this name certainly pops out. Yeah. Well, and what I'll tell you is that in a number of cases, I used a specific person to act as a placeholder for, for a development. And, and in John Chaika's case, I would say that if you looked at where analytics uh, were at the beginning of the decade and where analytics are right now, they have become such an integral part of how and not just at the NHL level. I mean, I, like I wasn't even aware of this until the last 24 months. But, but, but junior hockey team. And I ran into John Paddock at the outdoor uh, game in, in Regina. He's coaching the junior team there. They're using analytics. I mean, they're, you know, they're using analytics at the college game. The, 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 the way this part of the game has mushroomed over 10 years is phenomenal, right? So I think in, in, a, in a situation like that, it may not be a, a central figure. It might just be a, a central development. But I felt that somebody needed to be a placeholder for that development. And so as I parsed the list of, of possible candidates, I mean, there were, there were others that you could you could include. But I just thought that, I mean, the youngest general manager in the history of professional sports. So that was significant. And, um, and, and, and you know, he founded Stathletes with the, with his sister and, and a couple of other people. And so yeah. I, that's why he's on the list. Uh, and, um, you know, it's funny because this is um, – you know, more of a coincidence than anything else, but I just finished a profile of, of John and talking for our Arizona Blitz and, and had a long talk with him about that. In fact, I said at the end of it, we talked, I said, oh, by the way, we're doing this thing and you're on the list. And it was like, oh, cool. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but no, I mean, he's just, um, yeah, that, that that's why I, I, I put him on the list. So it's no, it's a good debate. And, and, um, it's a good explanation, and I and I, of course you're these these are all well thought out. And so the other one getting, and I don't want to like to sit there and read the list. I, I again encourage everybody to go to the athletic to to read this um, this package, like Eric, to, and then pro- go into the comments, which I'm sure as we as this is put uh, online and launched, I'm sure the comments are probably 100 to 200 strong as people um, question Eric's decisions. <laughs> so the the coach that I would 
I, not question, but I, I, I let's talk about it. Is at twenty four is Daryl Sutter, right? Okay, and, and so, yeah. <laughs> all right. So uh, the other coach I considered was Mike Babcock, who, uh, and again, I prepared this list before. Uh, uh, the developments uh the, you know the last little while where he was relieved of his yeah duties. i don't know if that helps his cause in getting any no, no well no exactly yeah, yeah no it probably might knock him down further but <laughs> but you know, the argument for mike babcock is a good one i mean he he changed nature of coaching salary eight years yeah. 50 million dollars like it just like it, it just it was like when patrick Waugh got four million dollars i remember glenn said saying you know like in those days, a million, a million two, and, and everybody bumped up by a couple of hundred thousand. And, and Glenn Sayers' famous line was, how do we get from one, two to four? Like, what, what about all the intermediate steps? And that's what happened, really what happened with Mike Babcock's contract. From, from small, small incremental increases to, what, $50 million? And, and, and it raised the bar for all the other coaches' salaries that, you know, then the coaches that have, have signed new deals since then owe a lot to Mike Babcock. And I hope every one of them has sent them you know, a bottle of, uh, you know, Chateau Neuf de Pop. But um, well, I thought about him, um, and then, but I, for some reason, here, so here's why I took Daryl Sutter, because when Los Angeles Kings, to me, are, are a really important franchise in, in the National Hockey League, and, and Wayne Gretzky came in, in 1988 and, and changed everything in terms of hockey in California, but, but he was never able to win a championship. As good as he was, it got, got him to the final in 1993, and so, you know, so this was a, a team that was, you know, like kind of going sideways a little bit like like St. Louis, you know, like good and then not so good. And then all of a sudden Sutter comes in in the middle of a, of a very average year of what we consider to be a very average team. And, and it almost immediately changes the culture. And I think that part of the reason that I put him on the list was because there was this initial backlash when he was hired. That Daryl Sutter was yesterday's man. What are they possibly doing? You know, like this is going to be the worst thing that ever happened to them. And instead it was the best thing that ever happened to them. So not only did they win a championship that year, but that to me, that 16 and four run in that playoffs. When we look back at that decade, that was the most dominant playoff of the, of the 10. Right? I mean, it, it just was They you know, they really weren't tested by anybody. So a, a team that was an eighth seed, not, they didn't just win, they rolled, they rolled. And then the next year, they were a better team, I thought, 2013 and lost to Chicago. It was in the building when, when that game was on. The hockey was phenomenal. It was the, a clash of two styles. You know, Chicago was, was fast and up-tempo and, and LA was hard and heavy. And, oh, it was just a war. And it was it was great, great entertainment. Then they came back. That was the best. Was that may stash. have been the best playoff series in the in the decade. Just Isn't for, great? At least the best conference final. Like that yeah. Kings, Blackhawks, Western yeah. Conference. And I was on that, so I was in the building every night, and you were too. And so, yeah, it was just, it was phenomenal. It's, and then they go and they win again in 2014, and, and actually, and then they had their best regular season in 2015. So there was a four-year period there where a franchise that, you know, was in a major American market that hadn't done anything suddenly became relevant. And, and you know, there was, you know, people came out of the woodwork. I remember I met Mary Hart, and I like all these different people. It was like the old, it was like when Goldie Hawn used to patrol the, the forum in 1993. It just became a thing again in the in, in Los Angeles. It's, it's, that's an important market. And there was a period there too. Uh, I, I thought when LA, Chicago, and, and the Rangers you know, in the Alain Vigneault era there, uh, that was good for the game to have these, these big markets um, thrive on the ice. And so, and I thought that, that Daryl Sutter made, made a big difference. Like he took that group of players, that, nobody thought that they were a great team, uh, but, but they learned to play as a team and, uh, and, and they were really impactful for a, for a four year period. So, you know, like I said, it, you, you know, Joel Quenville had a phenomenal run. Um, pretty good, pretty good decade for Joel Quenville. Pretty good decade for Joel Quenville too. And, and, and again, you like, you know, it would, it might, might've been an interesting exercise, you know, to take every one of these categories and, and, and separately, you know, like name the 10 best coaches or the 10 best you know, managers or, or whatever. Um, but if you're if you're trying to distill an entire decade, and and I guess the other thing that we were looking at hockey, not just the NHL. So a lot of the other names, I was trying to think in terms of 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 the hockey impact. So you know, uh, NHL hockey, but women's hockey, college hockey, junior hockey. I mean, Connor McDavid is high on the list. Maybe people will disagree with that, but because he's only arrived in, in the NHL halfway through the decade, but you know, he got exceptional player status in 2011. I think he was on the radar as a 15 year old. There were people profiling him, you know, way before he ever arrived in the NHL. He was yeah. the most anticipated player since, you know, probably Crosby. Right. So, um, and then, you know, he won 
you know, scoring championships as a teenager and, you know, twice with the, winning the Ted Lindsay, which to me is a, is a really critical award. We like to think because we vote for the heart that that's the most important award. But I, I think that players themselves, I mean, they, they treasure the heart, of course, but winning a peer award, there is nothing greater in life not just hockey life, than winning a peer award. And the Ted Lindsay is the NHL's peer award. And Connor McDavid won it like as a kid. And so, so, you know, like, so I factored in what he did before he came to the NHL to what he accomplished in the NHL and I'm higher on the list than probably a lot of people are going to like. And it was the same with Daryl, you know, you're weighing the accomplishments of, uh, and, and the impact, not just the accomplishments, but the impact of a number of coaches. And, you know, I just, I just decided to go with Daryl. It's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, your list. Yeah. You know, a, a fun exercise would have been asking Connor McDavid where he was on January 1st, 2010 as a 12-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> My goodness. Oh, I, I'll uh, bet you it would have been in front of a video console. Yeah, probably. No, he probably was like on the ice doing the Power Edge Pro oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. training, knowing Connor. Yeah. Um, all right. Before we switch gears, is there any anybody you left off the list that you're like either worried people are gonna maybe make a convincing argument about, or that was was especially hard to keep off? Um, yeah, but, but it was more of a personal thing, and it was it was the death of Bob McCrimmon uh, in a plane crash in uh, in Yaroslavl, Russia, for a lot of reasons, including the fact that uh, I'd seen him. Um, uh, I was covering a playoff series between uh, Detroit and, and uh, Phoenix at the time uh, in the in the spring, and uh, you know he's somebody that I, I you know really got to know and, and really like as as a person. I covered him as a player, and and um, you know we just kind of stayed in touch. We had a shared a shared interest in music and and uh, uh, just a really good human being. So anyway, I had uh, he, he was talking about going to to Russia. I had done a book with Dave King about coaching in Russia, I said, uh, let me send it to you. And he said, no, Dave's already sent it to me. I've talked to Dave about it. Uh, really looking forward to the adventure. And um, you know, I had an, uh, a health issue, and I was actually in a hospital bed when the plane went down and, you know, connected to a, a, a machine. And, uh, you know, it was a really tough physical time in my life. And, uh, and, and, and then, you know, then he died, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was... It was it was it was a very very difficult thing for me to digest. I took it really hard. Um, you know, uh, I'm not saying this particularly well, but it was. Uh, yeah, but, yeah. but the other thing that it did was like uh, like I, I was in a lot of pain. I was really having a lot of trouble. But I thought to myself, you know, like I'm going to get through this. And and it was it was partly, you know, you know, every day I'm thinking about Brad McCrimmon, and it's like, okay, you got to be strong because that was what what. McCrimmon was one of the strongest people that I know strong willed strong physically he's just you know I always had thought of that Springsteen song you, you can't be too strong and um or, or, or tougher than the rest and and anyway so so I I debated it um you know uh, and then uh, it could have been like a placeholder for for what happened in Humboldt too that was another one that just you know when when you're when you're a parent and that happens to to those you know young people um, and you, you just imagine, oh God, what, what, what would it be like if that happened to one of one of your children? And, and what will it be like for the parents to go forward the rest of their lives having lost them? It was just, you know, so all 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 of those things uh, factored into it. And and I, I I don't know why in the end I, I maybe I, I just thought you know that's that's too personal and I'm not sure that I, just because it resonated with me would it necessarily resonate with with everyone else? So I. I ended up leaving him off the list, but uh, but I'm not sure if that was yeah, the right yeah. decision or not. But that, that's that's why I left him off the list. I can tell you, um, a I would have, you know, I would have been happy to see him on this list. Um, mm-hmm. I remember seeing that news mm-hmm. and immediately pulling out my phone and texting him, yeah. and just like, yeah. please tell me you weren't on that plane, yeah. you know, and mm-hmm. and just. It's, and then you just stare at the phone and you're like, please, you know, you want to see yeah, yeah. the response. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you didn't get one. Yeah. And you didn't get one. And yeah. I just noticed this the other day, you know, you type in, you know, you're looking for a phone number and I was typing something in and his name popped up because how do you delete? Yeah. You know, how do you delete Brad McCrimmon from your phone? Like yeah. how, you have to physically do that. And I, you know, Brad was, um, I, you know, I got to know him well when he was coaching in Atlanta and when I was covering that team and yeah. You know, you always, you, you know, if, to do this job well, you need somebody who trusts you that mm-hmm. 
that's close to the team just so you know you can be like hey here's what i'm seeing brad like am i way off or mm-hmm. what do you, you know you you need yep. somebody who trusts you and you can have those conversations when you're leaning against the wall in the hallway and and brad was that guy and it was that was yeah that was that was tough and i can't believe it's that that seems like another lifetime ago to me um yeah. i can't believe it's it falls in this window and when i remember doing a story for espn i think it was a year later i went to see his family um and they live about an hour away from me right and his in his wife brings out she's got this box of stuff that's from mm. they've recovered from the crash yeah. and pulls out his wallet it had like the flames logo on it and you could you could literally smell the jet fuel. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. And oh. I was, it was like this. And so I, I'm glad to talk about him because I think his impact was was you know, it was huge in, in the sport of hockey, and yeah. it was huge because you know people like us that he would you know help and talk with, and when you talk to a guy like Nicholas Lidstrom, who cut his teeth with Brad McCrimmon as his D partner in Detroit. And basically told him, you know, taught him how to defend. Or Mark Howe in Philly talking about pairing up with Brad and being like a plus six thousand or something yeah. one year. Yep. Um, Chris Pronger, Gary Chris Suter. Pronger. I mean, it's amazing. Yeah, amazing. And it's it's amazing. And and one of those guys that probably doesn't get the appreciation he deserves as a player, but and was was you know he was going to make it as a coach. And it's, yeah, it's yeah, I would. You and I, he's, he's out on this list for us. Yeah, I, I, mentally, I'll keep him on this list. Okay, good. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. Um, well, awesome job with this, Eric. It was, uh, it was fun. I, let's get a spark conversation, um, as will. So let's, let's take a second to switch gears because to, to wrap up here for the second half or however we want to say this, I want to go over the all-decade team. Now, this wasn't put together by you or I, so we can already, we can already argue about it and punt the blame elsewhere. Um, Dom Luchigian, I think I'm saying that right. Who knows? He's got all those consonants together in his last name. Dom. Some of us do have that, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Do you know how to say Dom's last name? I took an honest run at it there. No, you did a good job. You did a good job. Uh, The the problem with names like ours is there's too many silent consonants. So as long as my name, if you don't don't pronounce the T and the S, you got it. You know, and I think it's the same with Dom. So yes, very good job. Yeah, thanks. So Dom, Dom, he's got his analytics and his spreadsheet and... He spit out the 2010 All-Decade team. Um, and so... And then can I say, this is the first time I've ever heard of it. You refused to tell me who it was on it. So I, I want you, you know that surprise. Okay. All right. Absolutely. So let's let's jump right in. The first top line, and I don't mm-hmm. know how we argue this, but we can if you feel strongly, is Sidney Crosby, Alex yeah. Ovechkin, and Patrice Bergeron. Hmm. Patrice Bergeron, eh? Hmm, 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 hmm. Okay. Right off the hop in the explanation, again, I would encourage you to go read this at The Athletic yeah. if you haven't yet. Is, uh, he says, I'm, I know I'm going to be, uh, right off the hop, we're going to be liberal with the forward positions or else, yeah. you know, a lot of good centers aren't going to make this list. But right. Bergeron has played on Crosby's wing. This mm-hmm. is not unprecedented. Okay. So, okay. so line two is is Jonathan Taves, Evgeny Malkin, Patrick Kane. We're gonna we're gonna get we're gonna get centers playing the wing the whole way through. Okay, who what, who yeah. else has he got? Third line: Connor McDavid, Steven Stamkos, Nikita Kucherov. Mm-hmm. Fourth line: Andrei Kopitar, Brad Marchand, mm-hmm. Joe Pavelski. Hmm. Okay. So notable exemptions. Let me see if he's got like a list at the bottom here. Well, no Claude Giroux, right? No, right, right. No, no, John, no John Tavares, who was sixth in, in points that decade. No Nicholas Backstrom, who was eighth in points. No Phil Kessel, who was seventh in points. And, I, and I'm not suggesting that it should just be a recitation of points, because that is not how the game of hockey is played. So I'm guessing, no. again, if, if he's framing this as as the team, you know, the, the the all-star of all-star teams, the team that if we put this group on the ice, they would go 82-0 and 0 in, in a NHL regular season game. I mean, you'd have a hard time quibbling that. And especially, here's the other thing, too. Like, are we talking about these guys for the entire decade or when they were at their peak? Because, you know, like to, you know, Kucherov is a little bit of a 
reach for me, I think. But but again, I you know, at what point did he become so impactful that that he trumps some of these other guys that we're talking about? So so I think Kucherov's a good like it's it's fair to say okay, Kucherov has been great the last yeah. few years, and and you know, there's a probably a McDavid argument too, right? Like so I you know. I'm sure Dom in 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 the intro has explained it. So I think if we're just going to sit here and debate it like we're at a bar over beers, I think it's fair to take him off. And you sit there and go, okay, you know, like where's where's Joe Thornton? Yeah. Like Joe Thornton to me, uh, yeah, you know, had his. Yeah, or if you're going to say, if who are you putting on? If you have to put one guy on this team from to represent those Sharks, is it Joe Pavelski or is it Joe Thornton? Yeah. Well, and I'm, I, again, I don't know the, the numbers in front of me, but I do know from having Joe Pavelski on my fantasy hockey team for most of the decade that he, <laughs> he, is, he is one of the most underrated goal scorers. So if you, if you crunch the numbers for goal scoring, he's going to be one of those guys. Huh, Joe Pavelski, fourth, really? You know, yeah. so I, I, I do understand why he's there. I, I don't know. There, there's a part of me that, uh, you know, probably if I was doing it, I, I would be trying to pick – you know, the, the, you know, the best top line, the best second line, the best third line, the best fourth line. So my fourth line might have Patrice Bergeron there with, uh, with oh, that. Like, like stylistically, you're saying. You might shuffle the names around a little bit in, in, in terms of trying to find chemistry that works. Because, because I look at those lines and, and they're all unbelievable talents. But I'm just wondering if there isn't a better way of, uh, of, of, of sorting them all out. You know, like Dave's and Kane together, fantastic. Of course you would do that. You know, is Malkin the right guy to, to complete that line? Not so sure, you know. And so um, well, that's interesting. I, um, and I, I think that the ones, you know, you know, as we've talked about before, like sometimes it's easy to overlook the, you know, the Daru's, the Terraces, the Kessels, the, the Backstroms. I, I like Nick Backstrom. I, I might I might have Backstrom in my call and take Kucherov. Yeah, yeah, I think that's fair. So if I'm sitting here, we're going to say we're not going to shuffle these around. Like when I close my eyes and I just try to think of the last 10 years and all the playoff games that we all covered and all the impactful games. And you think, okay, who are the four most dominant centers? Like who who were those guys that were championship teams were built around? To me, it's Crosby, Taves, Kopitar and Bergeron. Yeah, hundred percent. Like that. So, like, ju- if I'm just starting this list, and I don't know what any of the numbers are or anything on that. Yeah. Like, I, I'm I'm gonna build it that way. I'm gonna go right down the middle, and that's like, again, I can already hear like Evgeny Malkin and Connor McDavid arguments, and that's fair. Like, I'm with you on on that. Yeah. But when I say for this 10 year span, yeah. who were the guys that I remember talking the most to about people and covering mm-hmm. them in the biggest moments? It was yeah. those four. Yeah, and and you know what? We're not going to be able to argue this one because I agree. I circled when when you gave me those names. I put those are the four names that I put circles around. So yeah. sorry about when, that. <laughs> yeah, no, like it's and so then when you're talking about wingers, so if we're going to say, all right, maybe we're only going to we're not going to be as liberal here. We we got to pick a couple wingers, like and and we're using that same kind of thought process. Who? Who who was was having the biggest moments and who were we covering in 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 those Olympic games and and having standout moments? To me, if we're talking if we're highlighting those wingers, it's Ovechkin, it's yeah. Patrick Kane. Right. Mm, I think there's maybe it's uh, it, recency bias, but Phil Kessel, like Phil Kessel, had a heck of a ten year span. Run there, yeah. Um, yeah. I don't, you know. At the, you know, maybe Brad Marchand. I, I think of Brad Marchand. Oh, because like no he, question, Marchand. No question. Yeah. Going like, all the way back to 2011. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we're going back to 2011. Like that yeah. was the start of the decade. Exactly. So that's yeah. maybe, that, maybe those, that's my three. It's Ovechkin, it's Kane, and, the, and it's Marchand. Yeah. And I like Phil Kessel there too. I mean, you know, Kessel is one of those polarizing players. And I, I think that, you know, just so much of, uh, of just Phil being Phil uh, detracts from what he has accomplished on the ice. Um, you know, he, he became a real important piece in Pittsburgh. And yeah. there was a lot of people that thought that he should be in the, the conspite uh, conversation that one year. So uh, it's easy to look past him because Phil is Phil. But uh, but he had he had a very, very impressive 10 years, too. And if I remember correctly, and I may, this may be dreaming this, I think Phil Rung went off the crossbar in overtime of the gold medal game. I think he had like a really prime scoring chance in that overtime. Like that could have, and again, we're talking about the start of the decade where Phil wasn't just the Pittsburgh days. All right. Yeah. We're already like, we've already gone way over here. So I don't want to, I don't want to linger too long. The, the, the D I'll read them to you. Okay. Give you some time to kind of marinate on it. And then we'll go from there. His yeah. top pair is Duncan Keith, 
and Eric Carlson. Okay. His second pair is Victor Hedman and Drew Doughty. Mm-hmm. His third pair, Sedano Chara, Chris Letang. And then on his, I guess his black aces or whatever he's calling them, healthy scratches, Brent Burns and Shea Weber. Hmm. Interesting. So no Keith Yandel, uh, no John Carlson, no Dustin Bufflin, no Ryan Suter, no Mark Giordano, no P.K. Subban. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, uh, yeah, I, it, I, I, I like his defense better than I liked his forwards, to be honest with you, because I think you can make a case for all of those guys. And and, and all of the reasons that we were citing for, for maybe putting on players whose numbers may seem a little bit lower, that's why you have Char on the list. You know, like right. Char, Char had a presence that transcended the, the physical statistics that uh, – that he uh, that he uh, he put up. So I, I I like him on the list. Yeah, I like Chara on the list. I like that list. I, yeah, I like I the D. I, yeah, I know. Maybe it's a cop out because uh, yeah. we're running out of steam. But I, I think the D is good. It, it, and I'm looking at the blurb. Chara was 32 at the start of the decade. Right. So basically, as we get into the 20s, Chara is the same age as Sidney Crosby. Right? Since 32. Right? Yeah. So. So maybe like and think about all he accomplished in that yeah. ten year span, and, yeah. and we're sitting here. We we talk about a young person's game. Mm-hmm. For those, for some of those guys, like there's, you know, there's still a lot to come. All right, yeah. so I like the D. I'm with you. I'm not sure I would make a ton of change. Like again, it, it passes the close your eyes. Who do you remember covering the most and talking about the most? It's the Drew Dowdies. It's it's Sedano Chara in yeah. those big moments. It's even Eric Carlson and definitely Duncan Keith. Like I just had this conversation with somebody in Chicago. Like that Duncan Keith contract. Like if we're talking about even an off ice impact, like that was why they were able to win because they had him at such a low number and could build around him. So yeah. I like the D a lot. All right. Wrapping up the goalies, his starting goalie for the day. And now you have, you've done some advanced research on this, so you, you can definitely have some opinions. His starting goalie is Henrik Lundqvist. Uh-huh. Backup is Braden Holtby. Uh-huh. And in the press box is Carey Price. Okay. Uh, okay. I, I'm a, I'm, you know, I think I've already stated my preference for Mark Andre Fleury. Um, to me, he's the, he is the, 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 the dominant goaltender. Now, I, obviously, he didn't play internationally the way Carey Price was the guy for Canada and, and for Montreal. Um, didn't win a championship. You know, Fleury, Fleury won in Pittsburgh. Um, came real close in, in Vegas, and you know, I, I just think Vegas is one of the most important stories of the decade for what they did as an expansion team. I mean, I have George McPhee on my list. Yeah, um, yeah. I have Fleury on my list. I could have, I could have put Gerard Gallant on my list if we were looking at coaches because there was, you know, all that weird stuff in Florida. There, there, there were reasons for him to be impactful. So I, I, I think that over the course of ten years, the consistency of, of Mark Andre Fleury would make him number one. I have no problem with. Carey Price being my number two, and, uh, and 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 I have no problem with Henrik Lundqvist being my number three, but that's the order that I would go in. Who are you, and maybe this is a different way of framing it, you have, we're in the smack in the middle of the decade, or however you want to do it, you need to win a game seven, you need to win a gold medal. Is Marc-Andre Fleury the goalie? Hmm. For to win one game, okay. So that's yeah, a different, that's, that's that's a different, a different question. question. Yeah. Okay. Maybe it's a different win. podcast. I don't know. Like I look at this, I'm like. <laughs> I, like I love Carrie, like Carrie Price would be the guy. In, 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 okay, I would say Jonathan yeah. Quick would be my guy. Jonathan oh. Quick at at that when I need to yeah, win his, one, at, at the height of his yeah, uh, everybody's powers, at their heights. Yeah, uh, I would pick Jonathan Quick in one game. Yeah, he was. That's that's pretty good. All right, last thing, and we'll go. Who's coaching your team of the decade? <laughs> oh, <laughs> all right. Um, Okay, I think I'd, I would take Joel Quindle. Just again, the, the the overall body of his work from the start to the finish, and 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 you know, I, I would even fold in what he's doing in Florida right now to the uh, to the larger equation. That was such a tough market to go into. The team had had, had done so poorly for so long. Uh, you know, John McDonough changed the the whole culture there, but they really needed the right guy to pull it all together. And I think that you know, the Joel style and and just his personality in addition to you know like having like real good coaching chops is what made that uh, group work and and they won three championships right they won three so i'm, I'm gonna i'm gonna go with joel all right i'll go babs just to so they can go toe-to-toe like what a decade I, I, you know with the if we're talking about coaching this this crew of players he already showed he can take a, 
a, a great team and get the result you need. So I'll, I'll go Mike Babcock, even with all the craziness that we've been experiencing the last couple of weeks. Um, Eric, thanks so much. This was a lot of fun. It would have been more fun if we could have done it in person over a beer, but I'll, this is, this is the second best. So, uh, it was, it was a lot of fun and great work on all the stuff that you did. Yeah. Well, great. And thank you very much. I always enjoy our conversations and, and I'm glad you've invited me and I hope that I can get back on uh, once more before the end of the year. All right. At least once in the next decade. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Pretty good. All right. Pretty good. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Eric. I want to thank Eric for joining the podcast. I to wrap up here, I just want to encourage you to go and check out the stories that we reference and all of the coverage for our look back at the last 10 years across all sports at The Athletic. And if you're not a subscriber to The Athletic, if you're a listener to this podcast, you can go to theathletic.com slash full 60 to get 40% off. And if you just want to dip your toes in the water, a seven-day free trial. And you can go and read all the stories that we were talking about and then leave after seven days if you want. But really, I hope you stick around because we, we're having fun. We, we're proud of the work that we do at The Athletic, and we cover a ton of hockey for hockey fans. So thanks again, Eric, for joining the podcast. Thank you for listening, and have a great week.